I strongly believe that we're given what we need before we know we need it, if that makes sense, or like prayers are answered before they're asked or they need to be asked. Um, I've, I had honestly been preparing for this my whole life without realizing. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Well, hello. Today I have my friend, Sarah May Hollinsworth on the line. Sarah May, are you here? Yes, I'm here. Thank you for having Mm me. I am so excited you're on on this podcast. I've been waiting and like so (laughs) excitedly to be able to share your story ever since we met. uh, Oh my gosh, I think it's been almost four years ago that we met at an airport in Las Vegas. Yes, we did. (laughs) So is it okay? Do you remember that day? I very much remember that day. Yeah. And then we shared a taxi to the hotel. We shared a taxi or Uber or whatever. Uber probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I want to actually, if, if it's okay with you, I want to say the, the, the premise of how it is I met you and why it is I need to share your story. Um, if that's okay. So I remember we sh- we were on the same plane. We're going to the same conference and I knew you were going to the same conference because you were wearing a backpack from our companies, our health uh-huh. and wealth, health, <laughs> health and wellness company that we're both a part of. And so, um, I got off of the airplane and saw you at the baggage claim and started chatting with you. I'm like, oh, how long have you been using the products? And in the conversation, you suddenly said something that made me jump back like two feet because you said, oh, well, after I lost my legs and I remember just jumping like what? And doing that second kind of like that comic look of the back and forth (laughs) like that. (laughs) <laughs> that I didn't that. realize <laughs> that I didn't realize I had been talking to you for all this time, not knowing, not realizing <laughs> that you didn't have your limbs. Yeah. And then on your end, what were you probably were not used to that. You're probably thinking people are coming to you already noticing that. Is that usually what happens? It's funny. It's honestly split down the middle. Like half the people come and I can usually kind of tell by their demeanor and they want to ask about it. And then I know that the other half, you can just tell have no clue. And then I do like what I did with you. And then it's a similar (laughs) thing. It's so fun. I love it. Well, thank you. And I know that it's, it's a tough topic we're talking about, but at the same time, something that I think will bring a lot of hope and inspiration to a lot of the listeners because something that struck me when I met you was in that Uber, Lyft, uh, taxi driver, again, one of the the vehicles, I don't remember which one of all the means of transportation it was that we shared to the hotel. You said the following words and it was, uh, this didn't happen to me, it happened for me. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, and I know we cried the entire ride to the hotel and our conversation talking about all these different aspects of grief and things that I was even going through in that moment too, with uh, my mom being diagnosed with cancer. And it was just amazing um, how inspiring you were. So uh, let's begin uh, from the kind of beginning. Um, Let's uh, begin with how long ago it was that um, you lost your, your, do you like to say limbs, legs? How, what is the correct terminology? Um Honestly, it doesn't matter. I usually say feet because I'm like, I have most of my legs. So in my brain, when okay. I say legs, it feels like I'm claiming more of a loss than I have. <laughs> so I usually just say feet. <laughs> okay, feet. So um, take us back to that and how it happened. Yeah. And just to give you guys a tiny bit of background so you kind of understand the full picture. I'm a lifelong personal trainer, um, wellness coach and athlete myself. That's that's what I've done. (laughs) And at the time, I was in school getting my degree in kinesiology and sports psychology. I was running my own boot camp business. I was preparing myself for a half marathon. And I was also a couple days out from a fitness competition. And I just had, I felt off for starters. And then I just had some nagging pain in kind of my hip and low back. And I knew I hadn't injured myself. I was pretty in tune with my body. But I also knew something wasn't right, and that just continued to escalate for the next few days to the point where, and some parts of my memory at this time are foggy and parts are crystal clear, so I'll do my best to provide the details, but it got to where I was crawling around the house from the pain. It was so bad, so I finally went in um, to the ER, and they thought, um, when I described everything, they thought that maybe I had either it hurt myself or that I had sciatica. And I said, I don't think so. But they gave me morphine and um, ended up sending me home the same night. And then it was, I believe, like a day and a half to two days later, which ironically is coming up in just a few days. We call it my alive day. It'll be my eight-year anniversary, my eighth alive day. Um, The day I was... What's the date? It's March 24th. So it was March 24th, 2012, that this all happened. Um, I went in first on the 22nd. They sent me home. And then I believe it was um, like the middle of the night on the 24th. I turned to um, my boyfriend at the time and I said, I think I'm dying. And so, which for me, you know, I was a pretty tough chick. So <laughs> to say that uh, things had to be pretty bad. Um, so they took me in and I pretty much immediately went into full organ failure um, they had to put me on life support. Uh, my, I had a heart attack, my, all my organs were failing. And so they ended up having to, um, put me on a bunch of medications to keep me alive so that I wasn't crashing. And then, um, yeah, I was on life support and that was for a couple of weeks. I was in a medically induced coma. Um, every time they would try to bring me out of it, I would crash. Um, but after a couple weeks, then I kind of turned the corner, I guess you could say, and they brought me out of the coma. (laughs) And uh, it had been an interesting experience being in the coma. So I was not communicating um, with anybody for a while. They thought maybe I'd had some brain damage and some other stuff. I remember having to relearn to swallow, to 
even use my hands to do any regular functions. Um, I had no idea what had happened. I remember some of my boot camp clients coming to visit me and I was like, I'll see you tonight at boot camp. And they're going, when I, when I finally was talking and having visitors, they were like, not, not anytime soon. Um, <laughs> you were saying that but, you were telling them yeah. I'll see you tonight at boot camp. Yeah. I was like, go change your clothes. We have class. I mean, I just had no idea what had really happened. Um, not even slightly. And wow. to give you a little bit of background, they, my body couldn't handle diagnostics, so they didn't fully know what had happened to me. They just kind of had to keep me alive. Um, after the fact, down the road, they ended up, they kind of guessed that they think I had an infection in my hip, um, that that's where it started and that hit, it had spread to my blood, which is why um, I was in septic shock. That's what um, almost killed me. And I didn't lose my legs right away. Um, so I, I was in the hospital um, in ICU and in other areas for six weeks. Uh, I ended up walking out. But like I said, I had to relearn how to do all functions, um, which was just, it's like I went in that's, that's preparing weird. for a marathon, um, you know, getting ready for a fitness comp. And then I come out not really knowing how to use my hands and barely being able to walk. I mean, um, that's amazing. Yeah, I was probably, I don't know, 115 pounds, no body fat, um, super fit. My body ballooned up to like 160 pounds. And in the six, this... in the six weeks, in the yeah, six weeks, while I was in the hospital. it was when my kidneys shut down. Um, and I guess liquid was just oozing out of my pores, you know, my body was just so swollen. And then I left the hospital, I want to say I was like 84 pounds. Which, you know, I lost 30 pounds of muscle. I looked frightening. I remember the first time I looked at myself in the mirror, I'd avoided that, but I accidentally did. And it looked like I looked like a ghost. I didn't look like a person. Um, and that was really terrifying. So this is six weeks after the um, going basically into a coma. You come out of the hospital. Yep. This is you mm -hmm. learn again to basically, again, learn how to move your hands, swallow mm -hmm. the basic functions. Speaking was yep. speaking. You did, you did have that knowledge. Yeah. After a while, I didn't, yeah mm -hmm. I didn't speak to people for a while because I was terrified. My coma was a pretty terrifying time period. So I just kind of didn't trust anybody. And I mean, I'd been extremely traumatized, so it took me a while to speak, but then I, yeah, I could speak fine. So you remember uh, bits and pieces of when you were in the coma? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that part I remember well. well. If you're saying, yeah, it is, especially if you're saying that it was traumatizing. Is it uh -huh. something you want to touch upon right now, or do you want to just go over the um, aspects of the relearning? I don't want to have to necessarily talk about something that may, maybe is not the the right oh. moment to. So, it's okay. uh, but is, is it just a... Yeah, a glimpse. Quick. Is it just because you're aware of what's going around? You're listening. The reason yeah. it's interesting is because so many people end up having to be around family members that end up being in a coma and sometimes mm -hmm. are are left in these situations of having to make these really big choices, right? Of whether right. to keep them connected, disconnected. Sometimes they don't know, can they listen to me? Can they not? You know, all these kind of right. questions that they may have. And um and you had a two, it was a two week period that you were in a coma. Yeah. 
and that those two weeks for you that they ended up having such impact and trauma yeah. uh, is just uh, something I'm just curious to know what about it was that it felt so like as was it like a prison like uh, like being caught in this prison I, I don't I'm just trying to visualize what it would even feel like yeah and I'll preface it to say like I've spoken you know to other people who've been through similar types of things and I often hear that um, theirs was maybe a better experience so I don't think that the nature of what I experienced is necessarily like, you know, super common or what everyone's mm -hmm. experiencing, but the element of, I was very aware of what was going on um, to the point where there was a room that I was never conscious in that I was able to describe what it looked like and where, how it was set up and things, um, which is really interesting. Like I knew where I, got chills. I just got chills. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that well, I gave me chills. chills when I realized that I, I was like, chills. <laughs> yeah. So I'm still right now. I'm not kidding. Sarah, because Sarah May, I'm yeah. like having to right now. Yeah, like my face, my face is all good. It's all it's like goosebumps mm -hmm. on my face. Um the the idea mm -hmm. of of that aspect that we can see without eyes kind of I I yeah, I that's mm -hmm. in my in my perspective at least. And I know we and I've said this in the other interviews that I've had, the, this will, the people that will share stories and listen to stories here in this podcast will have very different mm -hmm. spiritual backgrounds and beliefs. And right. so, um, but I am always curious to hearing everybody's story. So in it, so that was what is going on. You're, you oh, can sure. describe it to a T of what was this room when you were, to there was no consciousness. Wow. Yeah. I knew like, you know, I knew the energy that was going on. I knew when people, you know, because it's trauma, it's chaos for everyone involved. So friends, family members arguing, you know, different stuff like that I was aware of. Um, the traumatic part of it is I was experiencing my own death and murder, which just sounds mm. so intense. But that's what I was experiencing pretty much on a loop for those two weeks and being tortured. Like when, because um, obviously... I'm aware and I also am in this, you know, altered state or place or whatever it is. Um, but when they were like, for example, I think they would turn me so that they could clean the beds and make sure that I wouldn't get bed sores and things like that. And I mean, I just thought, I thought I was being tortured during those moments. So, and like you mentioned, was it like a prison? Um, there was one of the things was that I was being tied down, reoccurring and held down and I couldn't. So all these scary things, right? And it wouldn't end and I couldn't cry out for help. Um, and there was just no control over that. And it was just enduring that. And then I suddenly came out of it and was like, wow, I don't know who to trust. I don't know, you know, and I also didn't really have the ability to communicate it with people. So no one, in all fairness, knew that that's what I was experiencing either. I was just quietly had it going on in the back of my mind, I guess. Wow. That just totally moved me right now. Mm -hmm. That's a, yeah, that is a lot. Because yeah. um, not only are you having then to come out of this relearning, but as you said, just kind of experiencing that trauma and again, the regaining mm -hmm. of the trust. And um, to some extent, probably were there aspects of like not knowing even what was real or not? Were oh, there yeah. those like what had really happened, what hadn't. So the trust aspect comes from that a little bit or oh, where do you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 
I just think, you know, I went from what was real (laughs) to that. And then I think that was the me like, see you at boot camp. I, that just shows for one, obviously how much I love (laughs) fitness, but also the like not fully understanding what had just transpired. I just thought, I don't know why I thought I was in the hospital. I don't know that people really explained it to me. I think no one knew you know, how and really knew how. how to handle it. Yeah. Especially. yeah. And they didn't know what was going on either. The doctors didn't yeah. even know yet, even exactly. what was happening. Right. There was so much uncertainty. Plus there was this, um, element of like, oh, I, I want to say this correctly, but just like of all people, this can't happen to her because fitness was such like health and fitness was just such a part of my life. To, you know, mm-hmm. to such an extent that disbelief. I think everyone was just really impacted. By a that. feeling of disbelief, disbelief, because yeah. it was, yeah. Um, it was my own, so, worst, you know, my, my own worst nightmare. Wow. Now you come out, you said you had not lost, you had not lost your feet at that moment when you came right. out six weeks later. So then right. you go home, you're are relearning all this, not even really speaking about all these emotions, plus you're also mm-hmm. dealing with yeah all these internal things of what's going on with your body, not knowing, uh, relearning everything. At what point uh, did you end up going back to the hospital? What happened there with your health? Well, they had told me because the reason that, um, you know, my feet came into play is when they were just trying to keep me alive, my blood pressure was tanking, like not, not to sustain life. They had to pump me full of so many vasopressors that keep the blood flow localized to um, your major organs and brain. So I lost blood flow to my hands and feet. My hands quickly recovered. Um, my feet were compromised halfway up my leg. And the I, I remember a surgeon coming in saying, we need to schedule your amputation surgery. And again, I literally couldn't even understand why I was in the hospital. So having this man come in and say that, first of all, like, I think it could have been, you know, I don't know, maybe communicated a little bit more gently, but I said, absolutely not. And then, you know, I, I do remember having some conversations with um, family, with the medical providers, and it was like, let's give her a chance to try and save her limbs, because that's, you know, so important to her. Um, so I did undergo limb salvage, which I did hyperbaric treatments and, and different things and had quite a bit of healing, but ultimately it became a matter of I would have more functionality long-term having both of my feet amputated, my legs amputated below the knee versus what I was looking at would be maybe losing part of my foot. Um, But as far as like prosthetics and different things go, um, that was my best prognosis for, you know, being an athlete and being able to move the way that I wanted versus keeping more of my body, but to have less function, if that makes sense. So that came, that came, that decision came how many weeks um, into it ended this? Up being, well, no, it ended up being about a year and there's multiple reasons why it <gasps> took that long. Yeah. There was, I was in a toxic relationship at the time, um, which I don't talk a ton about, but I knew that I needed to get out of that environment to move forward. I was living um, in Dallas, Texas at the time, but family was back in Oregon, and I knew that it was important to get back close to family. Um, Then there was also advocating for myself and finding, you know, the best 
surgeon I could find, the best um, prosthetist, different things like that. And I was undergoing limb salvage. There was a lot of different factors at play, but I was in the wheelchair for that time frame. Um, for a year. For a year, you yeah, were in a, a you year. were wheelchair bound. Yeah. And making those decisions, ending a yeah. relationship, about to move, or ba- yep. or making that choice to move, right? Yep. All those things all at once. So these are all these other like other losses that were happening yeah. at the same time as your health had been mm-hmm. one of those losses. So at what when you then uh, had your surgery, did you have it in Dallas? Did you have it um, back at in at where your family was on the West Coast? Where yeah, where I had did it your, back um, in the surgery West happen? Coast. Yeah, in the West home. Coast, mm-hmm. you had close to home so that you'd have then that support system for your recovery process. Yeah, I honestly did not have a very, very big support system, but I was really blessed that my mom is a rock star and she's a nurse. <laughs> so that came in extremely mm. handy um, to have her support and have her in my corner during that time. I don't, there's no way I could have gotten through it without her. That's for sure. Mm. She's the real MVP of the whole thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Oh, that is amazing. Well, just the yeah. fact that you just had, even just that, I mean, even one person can be an extreme yeah. support, oh, you know, it, sure. it just really has, yeah, you can have 10 million people and be alone, you know? Right. So um, I think in these moments like this is sometimes when we notice or realize um how uh, yeah or who are really who who is really in our corner right and mm-hmm. who we really have um yeah. and who's really our friend who's really yeah. there completely unconditionally in Absolutely. these kind of situations mm-hmm. uh so i i'm sure that that was a part of that whole process within that year and thereafter i'm sure uh Very of that so. so in your after your how would you like to talk about then how it is that you transition then after then uh trans, you know having the amputation your again your life right now had put on a whole halt right because you were oh, yeah. a fitness instructor so you couldn't do yeah. what you were doing before if you were in a wheelchair so well, I did that- for a short period of time oh! <laughs> yeah oh, I well. did I should see I think I might have a photo of me in the wheelchair teaching boot camp. Never mind. Let me just go back in that. This is the rock star Sarah May I know. She continued to be a rock star. <laughs> You're amazing. You're amazing. So, so then you, um, you then you did a little bit of that. Then while you were uh, wheelchair bound, then you have the amputation. You, uh, how long after the amputation did you get your prosthetics? Do they, is it right away? What is that process like? It's so funny reliving this with you. I'm like, oh, geez, I forgot. Uh I didn't forget. But, um, so when I went to have my amputation surgery, I remember, because when I woke up out of a coma, I remember telling them my right hip still really hurts. I think at the time they were just like, that's the least of your problems. You know, I was not in a good state. So when I went to my prosthetist again, or my, sorry, my surgeon, um, for like the, an appointment before the surgery or whatever, uh, I told him my hip is my big concern. I said, um, yeah, because for one, there's, um, a history of addiction in my family. I've been very, you know, intentional about being preventative in all of my healthcare and my healthy lifestyle. And I know that, you know, a lot of people who go through something like this can become addicted to pain meds. And so 
the the thing that I was afraid of is I was like, we're going to amputate my feet, but then this hip's an issue, you know, I don't, we got to address the hip. So anyways, I got them to x-ray it. And that's when they said, we think that this all started there. I mean, there's not Mm. a way of knowing for sure. And then that's when then they referred me to an orthopedic surgeon to have my right hip replaced after the amputations um, because they determined that it was basically destroyed. So I had the amputation surgery. um, And then about six months later, and so I had prosthetics, but the thing is, the pain was so severe in my hip, the trying to walk. Yeah, I'd end up being in the fetal position for five days because I wasn't willing to take the amount of medication that I would need to lessen the pain. So I just kind of was in mostly the fetal position during that time in the wheelchair with limited walking. Um, And then I had my hip replaced in two separate surgeries, um, essentially twice, six months later. And then <laughs> we got to kind of start moving forward. And so at six months after the um, amputation and the prosthetics, you had your uh-huh. hip replacement and the hip replacement surgery takes about how long to recover from that? Well, like I said, I had them twice and oh, I so don't, the, okay, okay. yeah, I don't remember exactly, but I want to say it was around eight weeks in between um and then it was probably about three to four months of recovery because i oh that was pretty my hip was pretty painful um so it was a couple i don't know maybe like four months after that then i got to really start moving so then we're looking into uh, almost two years after your actual um I don't, I mean, the March 24th. Yeah. Yeah. The incident. Yeah, the, the incident. Uh, let me just say the day you went, the original incident where you went into a coma, yeah. a coma, coma, coma. I'm like, I'm like, coma, coma. The, <laughs> my, my Spanglish comes uh-huh. in here. Like sometimes it's a, it's a coma, <laughs> right? It's yeah. a coma. And the comma is the other one in the grammar. Uh, <laughs> so yes. the, um, yep. So it's technically almost two years then. So then this is when the work yep. begins of the learning how to walk with your prosthetics and so yeah. forth. And so here we're going to then fast forward a little bit. But at the same time, I want to know how, aside from your mom being here, your rock star and keeping you, you know, health, you know, taking care of you with your health, how did you... Uh, make sure that your mental and your mm-hmm. spiritual and emotional health survived those two years of what you were going through. Like, what did you do to take care of yourself in that aspect and not let yourself, or unless you did let yourself in those mom- uh, certain moments, I'm sure you're not, uh, you know, invincible, you're human. Uh, but um, how did you come out of water in that moment, you know, come out of, mm-hmm. yeah, being in water? <laughs> I strongly believe that we're given what we need before we know we need it, if that makes sense, or like prayers are answered before they're asked or they need to be asked. Um, I've, I had honestly been preparing for this my whole life without realizing. I mean, I was a kid, like seven and eight, who would go to the library and read self-help books. <laughs> and I just was obsessed. Mm. I had this knowing as a young child that we can rewrite our story 
that we're not stuck. You know, like I just had the knowing, like I said, there was addiction in my background and I never shared that with doctors because, um, and then there was also, you know, depression, anxiety and other areas because I didn't want to be labeled as having that issue and then have that re what's the word I'm looking for. Um, mm, retell re- the story, like basically become yeah, I didn't your want story. Them to label you me that way. Like- yeah. And then treat mm-hmm. me that way. So when I just, mm-hmm. I didn't really ever share that and I was constantly seeking how to, um, how to not have that, you know, I, I realize that that takes work. Like it, you know, we, it doesn't just magically not be our story, but I really had done so much work ahead of time um, to write a different story for myself in some of these other capacities that when this happened, it was like, okay, this is like the graduate course. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. just taking it to another level. And that was the greatest gift. I mean, yes, it was, there were some like, I don't even think I have adequate adequate words to describe the level of pain, like mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, all of it. Um, but the gift was that I had those tools, you know, so I just went to work again. It was like, okay, what you know, book, what teaching, what things do I think I need to hear? And I just really kind of went on this soul journey of heal, continuing to heal past things like generationally in my own life. And then now bringing all of this into it. And I knew I was like, what, what is here for me? What's the gift in this? I, you know, like you said that I had told you in the Uber is I knew I had a knowing that this didn't happen to me and it happened for me. And it's twofold. It's like, I didn't feel that way. You know, I obviously mm-hmm. felt like this is hell. This is my own first, like worst nightmare. This feels personal. This feels cruel. But I also, I think about myself and I have a good heart, you know, and I'm like, okay, I don't have, you know, a child, but if I had created a child, I, I would never want to allow or do this terrible thing to them right so I was like well I just don't believe that you know I believe in God I don't believe that God is cruel so if this happened there's you know he's going to use it and Mm -hmm. I decided that most especially when I didn't feel it and so I experienced it that way again that does not take away the fact that there was a lot of tumultuous times tons of times so much pain like I can't some days I look back and I'm like I cannot believe I got through all of that um but I also just set my sights constantly on what's the gift in this what can I learn from this how can I grow from this what can I share with others from this and you know I'm still walking that out it's obviously always going to be um a journey and a process but I did I really focused my thoughts on that and I knew that I needed to guard my thoughts and I knew that I needed to be on the lookout and really um I almost didn't allow myself to relax I allowed myself to rest but I was on the lookout Mm -hmm. for my thoughts and I really chose to you know like mindfulness to use my mind rather than let my mind use me because the the thoughts and the feelings were, you know, all the like awful things. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just knew I couldn't afford to let that get away from me. So I was just constantly, you know, affirming myself and focusing my mind on things that I was grateful for, even when I literally (laughs) didn't feel grateful for anything. Cause I remember I was like, okay, what am I grateful for? And I sat there and I'm like, oh goodness, like 
I'm grateful that I'm alive. And I'm like, but I don't really feel that. Like, life doesn't feel like a gift right now, you know? But I was like, but I choose it anyways. And different things like that. And then I, the biggest thing for me, though, honestly, that was like my North Star in that is I knew, you know, as an athlete, my heartache was going to be limited movement. You know, that was just the most painful. Mm -hmm. Plus, I was a bikini model. So I'm not going to lie. Like, I got best body in high school. There was definitely the the superficial element of like, wow, right. that and you, feels And not you used to do same. fitness competitions. Yeah. Right? You so, used to do fitness yeah. competitions. So your body was part yeah. of yeah. your... Huge of part your, of my identity. Of your personality, right? Yeah. Of your identity. That's the right that word. Yeah. So then definitely it's like shifted. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to where that <laughs> thought is now because I follow you on Instagram and I know where that thought is now. Um, so um, I, I all that. So what you're sharing, and I'm sorry if I'm not in. If I'm, I'm no, just but I listening, do need to finish so the thought. I just realized I almost. But go ahead. Go ahead. Put it. Put it. Put oh. it. Go. Finish the thought. Oh, I was just so gonna say because it's so for me it's so important. I think it is for all of us in our own way that it applies to us in our own personal journeys. Um, again, my heartbreak was in my limited movement and mobility, but I had, um, a dear friend who had a brother-in-law and he, I believe was paraplegic. Um, and I just, that stuck with me. I was like, I'm going to get to move again, like free movement. Will it be, you know, different? Yes. But that I could be grateful for, even when it like being alive didn't necessarily feel like a gift. It was like, I get to move again. I will get to move again. That will be in the future. I know. And I had really sought out at the time I went, (laughs) thank goodness for Facebook. I went to Facebook and found every amputee athlete I could find. Um, And so that was really the image in my mind. It was just all of these incredible humans doing incredible things. And that is kind of the future that I created for myself in my mind's eye, even when it was not what I was experiencing in reality. That is, that is amazing. Everything that you're sharing is just amazing. The aspect of the gratitude, even when you didn't feel like it of choosing Mm -hmm. to find something that you were grateful for that day. Mm -hmm. Um, that is big. It's kind of like choosing to go work out, even if you don't feel yeah. like it. It's 100%. like, right? It's yeah. it's like in that moment, you could feel you did not feel it. You did yeah. not feel it yet. You just forced yourself to say something that you were grateful. And that yep. it goes again with how it is that we look our he- into our health and the choices that we make each day that we just sometimes have to push through those limiting thoughts and then just you know, go through it with, with that, with that perspective yeah. of gratitude. And did you, did you keep a gratitude journal prior to this happening since you had already been doing like personal growth and development mm-hmm. since you were seven, basically, was it something right. a practice that you already had or did gratitude kind of start happening in the moment of that? Or, you know, or was it something that you always practiced? Um, I did not, I, on and off, I would, um, you know, I think there's layers to layers to our awakening layers to our healing, all of that. This obviously took me many layers deeper. Um, so I had the knowing of it, but I think I'd kind of taken it for granted in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, let's build this from scratch, this gratitude mm-hmm. in our spirit. Um, but I obviously had it as a foundation in some ways. Cause I, I turned to it. I just had to really dig. I had to dig deeper, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that went back, going back to the, your faith, going back to mm-hmm. your trusting in the process 
trusting that you had these tools already to get you through this moment, even in those moments in which you doubted yourself. Yeah. Uh, and again, knowing that um, of what I got from what you said, that this did not happen because of your creator of your um, of our God, you know, God, uh, mm-hmm. whatever we want to call source of. Uh, mm-hmm you know, doing something to punish you, but more as a process for you to grow from and, um, and a a gift to some extent to continue to learn from and evolve and grow to become an inspiring light to so many people that you are, um, now. And, um, I want to touch a little bit on that, on how now suddenly then did you shift then your life? It went from this, you start, you relearn to walk then you transitioned into now being a little you shared a little bit at the beginning you know health and wellness coach and inspirational uh, life coach as well so share a little bit of how it is that it's now a tool for you and who, who you are now yeah that's kind of been the journey and the process that I've been on there's a lot of like unbecoming and then you know that when we go through a fire or refining fire as we know it's like that which is really truly us remains while everything else falls away. So it was a lot of like figuring that out and experiencing that. And, you know, I just came back to to my roots and to who I've always created to be. And now it's like I get to, you know, impact on a greater level doing a lot of the same things that I believe I've just always been here to do. And so, yeah, getting back to my roots, um, as a health and wellness coach and uh, entrepreneur, and I'm looking into actually opening my own gym um, down the line. That uh, you're like one of the first people to hear that. It's funny. Well, not not just me. Then <laughs> when I put, I'll, I'll have to make sure I time this for when you allow to release this podcast when it's allowed to be heard that you're oh, allowed to open it. Yeah, if anything, it's sure. future thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. It's just, just been the. Like, this is what I know that I need to do. It's what, honestly, I completely forgot. But in high school, I when you graduate, I think they ask, like, where do you see yourself in five years or whatever? I said owning a gym. And I just laugh because it's as if I forgot that, you know, all this time going out and being an adult and doing all the things we think we should do. Knowing, like, well, not knowing then, but knowing now that it's like the dreams inside of us are ours, right? They're, I believe they're mm-hmm. gifts for us. And I think for me, especially, I was often, um, and not at all out of people like intentionally trying to kill dreams. I just think when we're adults, we've all been through pain, heartache, disappointment, things. So often I think if you share your dreams too soon, then people um, have an ability to kill them before they have the legs under them that Mm -hmm. they need to really, you know, walk through life. And so I would share stuff like that. And I think I was just always told fitness was superficial or you can't make money doing that or whatever. So anyways, I've just come full circle and I know that like I call um, the gym my church, you know, essentially it's Mm -hmm. like it's so we walk out so many life lessons and it's it's multifaceted. I refer to it as spiritual fitness a lot. It's like mental, emotional, spiritual, and it's it is physical. So that's just really where I feel like I have the greatest growth and where I can also walk people through their own, which is essentially what I'd been doing the boot camp that I taught um, in Dallas, Texas. There's, you know, obviously there's so many different ways that people like to teach and coach, but mine was really mentally driven because it's something that 
um, you know, I've struggled with in my own life mindset, really transcending um, mindset and building a more bulletproof one. So I trained them and these, you know, they were just average everyday people. They weren't athletes when they came in, but they did stuff that was more impressive than pro athletes because they didn't know any better. Mm. I just, I didn't, <laughs> they never knew I was pushing them and their limits because they just, they didn't know their limitations. Me. They didn't know. Yeah, yeah they, they didn't, didn't know their limitations. Yeah, I didn't let them think they had any. So, I mean, they blew my mind daily. I was like, wow, I've never seen that done, but they trusted me enough to go for it. <laughs> yeah, the, and I think that that is actually kind of going back to being even a child, right? When we're kids, right. we don't even have a concept of even fear. That's why all these dreams and things that we think of when we're kids um, – it, it's as if because we, we don't even have any concept of or doubt that they can happen. And right. all of a sudden we start believing, as you were saying before, uh, before uh, what people say around yeah. us. And then we start uh, kind of putting these layers and layers until we kind of hide it down deep in our soul of uh, those dreams that mm -hmm. we had. And then they reawaken. But um, so then with the boot camp, then that you do now, now you, you do the type of fitness you practice right now. You did boot camps before, and now you do what type of fitness? I just actually started a year ago CrossFit um, as a student because honestly, my like a little bit of shame that I carried is that my fitness, um, getting my own personal fitness back, took a lot longer than I could easily say than it needed to because you know obviously I had to have all the tools, the know-how, all of that, but that's where all my grief was, and I couldn't face it to be totally honest like for mm. me because it again I started at such a young age to where like when I would teach I did it by feel you know I did it by show I did, it was very intuitive um in nature and so nothing felt right <laughs> you know and it was just like that was heartbreaking so it was yeah. almost like every step at the time just felt like heartbreak and the the level of trauma and grief and all of it that I had it was like I almost couldn't handle that at the, yet and I needed the support and I was nervous for that even to like welcome someone into that journey and I'd really been praying I'd you know I'd I'd gone to the gym and done some stuff and I was decent but I knew I was like I want to be an athlete again. I want the eye of the tiger back. Um, mm -hmm. And so I don't, I'd been praying honestly. And then a friend of mine, Cody, awesome friend. Um, he's like, you need to come CrossFit. And I was freaking terrified to be totally honest because that wasn't even something that I'd done. I mean, I had done some movements and, you know, but I've always been the teacher and not the student. And it just felt so vulnerable. There were just so many layers to it, but I knew that that was an answered prayer and so I signed myself up. I it probably took me a month or two before I would finally walk in, um, but I did. And it's like nothing will ever be the same. It's I was like a fish to water, you know. It's so my just tossing weight around. Your jam, your yeah, jam. Yeah, I'm like, how oh, it feels like I've been doing it since the womb. Um, and which, and, it, and the support and the support that you're saying oh. that you had in that environment, like you said, yeah, it's your church incredible. because at the same time you have all this support system. Incredible. I've done CrossFit myself and it's just, it's a community yeah. effort, not I an individual in effort, which is, and, oh yeah. 
Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. I and really so then that. all this transformation that, that you, you, you regained your own confidence then and mm-hmm. re and love again for what your body could do now. Yeah. Well, um, and then your, you know, again, your confidence, all this. And so now that this has happened and I know in along the way, you also now uh, help coach people, not only phys- physically, but also um, with life coaching. Is that correct? Yep. Health and life coaching. Um, I'm super passionate about Talk a little bit about that. Talk uh, a little bit about that. Yeah. That I journey. actually just finished um, two health coaching certifications, which was really fun. Yeah. Again, it's stuff that I've been doing forever. Um, but now it's just really putting the foundation back, all kind of putting all the tools in my toolbox that I want to really coach holistically. Um, and as we know, it's, it's all connected. So again, the best way that I refer to it, I don't know that everyone gets it or not, but it's it's spiritual fitness because it's like that it's the mental, the emotional, the physical, you know, both through fitness as well as how we feel our bodies, but it's also very soul driven, very, you know, there's so we know it's like, you're not overeating or you're not eating the wrong things because it's about the food. It's not about the food. It's never been about mm-hmm. the food type of a thing. So really mm-hmm. yeah. having all of those things in place and realizing people may come to you, um, for fitness or they may come to you for health coaching, but recognizing that you need to, or at least I wanted to have the ability to address the whole person. Um, it's really rewarding. And I've uh, been taking on a few private clients, but I'm looking to, or I'm in the process of creating um, some programs and group coaching, which I'm really excited about. Well, that's really exciting. And that's something that at the end too, if you want to share a little bit of how people can find you uh, on social media or any of your websites, because um, that way they can be in the loop for when some of these things launch as well as already seek for your services as well. So uh, what do you want to just say those tags now? Your Instagram, yeah, which one you would can, you rather say? Um, I'll do both. You can, I'm at the Sarah May, T-H-E-S-A-R-A-M-A-E on Instagram um, or Sarah May Hollinsworth, which I, it'll be in the podcast on um, Facebook. Perfect. Perfect. And you have a website too, or right now those two are the main things? Uh, it's under construction, but sarahmay.co.co. Okay. So yeah, I'll, I'll put those in the notes here in the podcast as well. So that people can go to those links, but, um, what I, I wanted to just say quickly, just the aspect of you now being this spiritual coach, do you feel that, uh, you uh, and not that we could go backwards in time but if if this had not happened to you do you think that you would be able to impact people in the same way that you are doing now i mean i no, i know that's kind of like a weird, that's a weird question know, it's it hard, is. right I, I, get it. I mean you know i i constantly <laughs> think about that but what i know about me is like I said, I've been, I had been attempting since I was a kid to transcend and to grow and to get to this place. And it was, it was just something that I wasn't able to get to, but you know, I love, I'm sure you've maybe read or studied like the shadow side of us and done some shadow work. That's just really where it's like all the stuff we don't want to feel, we don't want to look at, we don't want to acknowledge. That's really where so much magic is, which I think 
is really one of the greatest gifts of grief, right? It's like, if we will sit mm-hmm. with it, there's so much there for us. And I was a runner, like I've been a runner my whole life. And <laughs> I basically wanted to run from all, all of that pain, all of that stuff. And so I would do the work, but I wouldn't necessarily sit with the pain. I love that quote, the cure for the pain is the pain. Um, it really is true. And it Mm. took, to be honest, it took me not being able to run (laughs) temporarily being stuck. I think that's why my journey took as long as it did. I think it needed to, like, I I'm also a sprinter. That's my main Mm -hmm. thing. And so my spirit was like, let's sprint through this process. I'm going to get it back. Let's go. I'm going to kick ass like now. No, that didn't happen. (laughs) And I think mm-hmm. that's because it, it mm-hmm. really needed to take what it took to get me to this point. And again, I'm still growing. I'm still walking out just like we all are in our own ways. Um, not to mention it's it's visible. And it's like we all, me not having my feet and what it looks like when I'm wearing my prosthetics and I may be kicking butt in a gym or something is just something visible of what we all have or flip side you could look at it someone could try and look at it as a handicap which is clearly not for me um but if they did Mm -hmm. it's like we all also have our own often invisible versions of that as well right so I think the nature and it being visible like just today um at the store you know I had two different people come up to me and and talk to me about it and I always get really positive like people are so you know excited and positive about it because I carry myself that way I feel um I don't people don't ever come up to me with pity I you know glad (laughs) but um Mm -hmm. I think that adds another element to it and that's something that I'm really cognizant of even it took me a while to be comfortable I just remember wanting to I was like okay I want the cosmetic coverings how can I hide it so no one ever knows And then when I was ready to just own it and embrace it, and I have really cool legs, um, I was very aware of how I carried my energy and how I portrayed myself because twofold, I um, didn't want people to look at me with pity, you know, or to feel sorry for me or whatever. And I knew that that had a lot to do with how I felt about it. Um, And then secondly, I just felt a responsibility to show people that you can come back and you can be strong and stronger and proud and all those things. I didn't want, again, I didn't want people to see it and think it was a a bad thing. And so I wanted to try and inspire and give hope to people, whether they've been through something, are going through something, or maybe one day would, you know, like today (laughs) we're talking during a pandemic and it was like, I recognized that people always come up and talk to me, but today, especially it felt like, I was giving hope to people that were like, oh my gosh, we need hope. Um, and it felt like it touched them in a, di- in a way that was different just by the nature of what's happening for all of us. Yeah, it's an awareness that people start having when things like this happen, right? Of the yeah. interconnectedness that everybody has and so forth. You said so many nuggets in, the, in those minutes <laughs> that I'm like, oh my gosh, I just, I'm like so many nuggets. The fact, one of the things is that you said you're, uh, your, your loss, quote unquote. And I say the quote unquote, the loss, even when Mm -hmm. somebody that's passed away in the process of grief and so forth is a visible one, right? Is a visible one. So people notice that, but as you said, so many of us carry things that people can't see and that, that 
it, that that's really the main difference to some extent between this particular type of loss than what's an yep. emotional type of loss or something that people have lived through. Um, yeah. and that we are all, uh, we all have something yeah. that we're going through or have lived through. And again, some of us just will never know what others have gone through. So it's, that was just, whoa. Um, so thank you for that awareness. And now what are like, what are the first words and we can uh, wrap it up here? Like, or what are the things that you would say to somebody that may be experiencing something like this, uh, in mm-hmm. a, a type of loss in this moment in their life? Um, of course, I know that after listening to this, they, it, you've already given so many glimpses of hope of what it is that can happen and that we are really prepared to be able to handle what we're given. Um, we just have to dig deep and deep and deep and be patient. I think the patience was the quality that also came up to my mind when you were talking about that you just wanted to split. So I think God really, really wanted (laughs) patience to be one of those virtues I learned in this time period. I know. I laugh people now tell me I'm like one of the most patient people they've ever met. And I just can't help but laugh. I'm like, I had the reputation of having the least patience of anyone ever. And so it's hilarious. Uh, yeah. Well, you're, well, you're like, it was by force. Well, that's it is. You were saying, I wanted to spend, I wanted to go. By yeah. force. Yeah. You were going to learn it, whether, you know, yeah. one way or another. I feel that way even with parenting, you know, being a mom every day I'm faced with oh, I that. Know. And I, that's the skill. Uh-huh. I keep on having to learn as patients. So uh, that when you were saying, I just wanted to sprint and get it done and do it and get, you know, and yeah. no, God needed me to wait. So I'm like, oh, patience, that's the virtue uh-huh. she was, you know, sent to learn. So oh, what yeah. are some of the things that you may say then to somebody when you, when they're in the middle of that storm, what mm-hmm. uh, would you say uh, to somebody? That's for going one, through. If it's at all medical related, I would say to advocate for yourself and make, make your own choices. Um, and that's so unique, right? It's to honor what is best and right for you, for the people in that situation, because I think we're set up, for example, when I went through everything, it was very like, I was being given grim information at all times. Like basically your future's grim, you know, type of a thing. Um, and even just the nature of like the amount of medications that they wanted to put me on. And I made my own choices with that, um, for some of the reasons that I shared with you and you have, you ideally, which it's so hard during trauma, obviously, um, you could be passive or you could be more proactive. And I would just say to encourage people to try to be as proactive and to retain their own control to the extent that they're able so that you can really write your own story in whatever way, whatever that looks like, even if it's just like not really the medical part, but the story that you're telling yourself versus what is maybe being told to you, you know, like this has a grim outcome or something Mm -hmm. and you can decide that that won't be my story or that doesn't have to be my story. Um, and really direct, you know, your thoughts and your actions from there and honor yourself to the best of your ability. And again, just, just gratitude. And it's like, I want to validate that I know that that pain makes it so hard. Like you almost feel like, 
I am completely BSing myself here. Right? Like to be totally honest, mm-hmm. it was just like this is ridiculous. And you have to BS. You have to BS yourself long enough to believe your own BS. Totally, to some extent, in some have, point. No, we have free will. <laughs> we have full and complete. And sometimes mm-hmm. I think I don't stand on this fact as much as I would like to, to be honest, because I'm afraid of upsetting people. But you get to decide, and it's on you if you're going to be a victim or a victor, right? And I just felt mm-hmm. like the like worst thing possible, my own, if I could have written my own worst nightmare, I was living it. And so it was like the only thing that I can control, but it's the most powerful thing I can control is my attitude and my perspective. Because it was like, what I'm not going to do is lose my feet and also lose my light and become bitter and whatever else, you know, I was like, I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to have more light. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be kind, you know, kinder, more gracious, those things. And so I really want to encourage people to like own that. And also I want to preface that with, I also understand how pain, pain will lie to you. And it will also like it'll make you want to shrink and stuff. And it will tell you, you have a right to feel sorry for yourself. Pain does. And so you kind of have to, it's like you have to swim upstream through this process while also honoring it while also sitting with the pain and giving it permission, but not allowing it to then drive the car, like stay in the driver's seat and kind of go on a road trip with it. But do not, do not get in the passenger seat. Don't become passive in this experience because you'll end up where you don't want to end up. Love, 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 love everything you said. It is is exactly how I believe in the process of grief and gratitude Uh, and all those grades in between. You just touched on all that and the aspect of pain and even just living with grief in our life, just not living in the grief. Um, But you can live with grief in your life, but still moving forward rather than letting it consume you. And the same goes with pain and any other Mm -hmm. thing in our life. And you just basically put it with a bow on it, with a cherry on top, everything, all these nuggets at the end. And I'm just so grateful uh, that you were on this uh, podcast here sharing all these beautiful nuggets to the rest of the listeners, whoever listens, all the world, <laughs> the, hopefully the world, whoever shares with anybody oh, else. And, so uh, the world. And, and the world. And then um, as well as just so grateful to have you in my life. So thank you again, Sarah, for taking the time to share your grief and your gratitude as well. Love oh, you, my you dear. So Thanks much. Again. I love you too. And you have so much to offer the world um, with your own journey and this gift. So it made my heart so happy to know that you were doing this podcast. I was extremely honored when you asked me and I just love and appreciate you so much. So thank you for the, for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we made it happen. We love you. Love Thanks you. again. You're welcome. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. 
Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.